It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the Right. And good morning and uh, happy, uh, it's, it's some kind of holiday. I think it's this. Um, no? Is, is, yeah. Um, is, is it, uh, do we get presents today? Um, do we get turkey, oh, maybe. turkey and mashed potatoes? Um, no. no, that's not it. Do we get to count down and then, and then drink champagne? Um, something you like could. that? Good. Yeah, that's true. I could. So, uh, you know, I, I had my Thunder shirt on last night. Uh, it worked really well. Um, I slept well and I was very calm. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of other folks were wearing mm. their Thunder shirts. And we have a special. Okay, I decided I'm going to do this. Okay, folks. Whoops. If I know how to hold this properly. Okay, uh, here we go, folks. Uh-oh. Welcome to Lagata Cam, and bum, bum, bum. Um, and there she. Hey, oh, look at that! And and she's on somebody's feet here. Um, hey, Mike, whose feet is she on? I don't know, but all we know is that on the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki, uh, shoots, uh, shoots, <laughs> shoes, socks, and pants are optional. Um, always. Uh. And and there she is. Hey, Legata, how you doing? You're just gonna. This is odd because she's never here underneath. She just usually uh, takes off. She's done uh, when she's uh, still hiding. She doesn't have her thunder shirt on, so she's still hiding. Yeah. Well, there's no fireworks going off here, so that's a that's a good thing. And uh, shh, be very very quiet. <laughs> and. Um, there she is. And for those of you who are listening on the podcast, yeah, we got a, a shot of my cat uh, lying at my feet here. This is uh, this is why you need to watch the live stream on YouTube. Go to YouTube and sign up for the Mike Novak Show. Um, and we're still on Facebook for now at the Mike Novak Show. Yeah. We're not we're not really sure how long that's going to last. Uh, we'll we'll go back to. Amos says, yay, Legata Cam is live. Legata Cam is I need one of those fancy little um, uh, uh, titles for it with a flashing red light, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, Legata Cam, Legata Cam, Legata Cam. 
Uh, so that that's what I wear. Hey, listen, I'm just happy I got the Legat cam up uh-huh. uh, and not have the whole system go crashing to the ground, which is, you know. And by the way, we got that fixed, I think. You know, I'm not going to. No, 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 no. Don't poke the bear. Don't poke the bear. I'm poking the bear. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we think we're, we're good. Yeah. Don't, no, no, easy, easy. Not with a pen, not with a pen. Uh, welcome uh, to the Dan sh- Costa says, good to see Legata too. See, she's taken over the show already. All right. Well then do we just go back to her and we just, we just, uh, yeah. show, uh, uh, stuff all day long. It's all, but she's, <laughs> she's not very entertaining. She doesn't right normally now. look that spotted either. That's the angle she's at. Oh, I don't know. She's, you know, I had a friend, uh, of the family come over and first time she met Legata, she said, moo, moo. Oh, well, Hey Legata, <laughs> you're, you're a star. You're a star, sweetie. All right. Back to this, back to reality. Hey folks, we got a great show today. We got some really cool people, great experts, uh, especially for those of you in the Chicago area, and we had storms here. You know, and there are storms all over the country. Um, but uh, recently, we went through about, we had tornadoes here. We had, oh my gosh, we had rain. And this was all following a drought, and we're still in a drought, as we're going to find out from meteorologist Rick DeMaio. I looked at the maps. Uh, they changed a little bit, not a whole lot, even though I, and I didn't even look at, you know what, during the break, I might run out to my backyard. I forgot to look at my uh my rain gauge, but you know, last week I had seven and a half inches of rain. Uh, this week, um, I don't know, but we had a, we had another incident with the with the rain barrel. Uh, so I got to go out and fix the rain oh. barrel. Uh, one and of then them's... Chicago got all that rain, but up here got nothing. That's right. That's and that's the point. You guys, which is in northern Illinois, going into southern Wisconsin, really not so much rain. So again, that's a good reason to have the folks who are on today. Um, talking about tree care, which we're going to do, uh, especially storm damage, but we're also going to get into watering properly because it's still an issue. And what happens when you have a drought for a few months and then suddenly you get seven and a half inches of rain uh, in your yard? Uh, what does that do to your trees uh, and uh, and your other plants, frankly, uh, because uh, we have uh, Julie Janowski, who is the manager of the plant clinic at the Morton Arboretum, um, and we have Skeet, and we'll get to him in a second. He, of course, he is an arborist, a certified arborist from uh, Bartlett Tree Experts, and they, uh, in full disclosure, are the primary sponsor of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, but we love it because they give us such great advice. And then uh, in the second hour, um, we go back out to Lake Michigan and the Magic Hedge, uh, which is uh, the part of the bird sanctuary at Montrose Point. Um, and there is some construction. Well, we first we got Monty and Rose out there who are back. They, they, their, their eggs got eaten uh, by a skunk several weeks ago. Guess what? They got back on the nest. They've got four more eggs. Uh, I, we assume they're going to hatch soon. Uh, they have offspring on the shores of Lake Erie, uh, producing more piping plovers. They are grand plovers now, yes. They are grand plovers. Um, It's a great story. And then in the midst of this, the Chicago Park District is doing construction at uh, the bird sanctuary. And that has some people scratching their heads. Uh, And we will talk to Bob Dolgan from This Week in Birding. Uh, He will explain what is going on. And, of course, as I mentioned before, meteorologist Rick DeMaio will be here 
uh, to talk. I, mean, I, I don't even know how he keeps up right now with, uh, with all the weather stuff going on all over the world, uh, certainly the country and all over the world. And we know that there are a lot of Rick DeMaio fans, so uh, we're happy to have him. He doesn't get a whole hour this week. He's just getting his usual whatever, 25 minutes or so, but uh, that's like uh, three times as long as most meteorologists get anywhere uh, on uh, on the radio or on... Over course of a day, sometimes. Uh, I'm sorry? Over a course of a day, they might get Yeah, exactly. So with that said, let us go to our guests here and uh, hold on a second, folks, while I pop your mics on. On the left, on the bottom, that is Skeet. Uh, who is a certified arborist with uh, Bartlett Tree Experts. Skeet, great to see you. Good morning, everybody. Happy Fourth of July. Oh, that's the holiday. Okay. That's the holiday. That's the holiday. Okay. you got to change that calendar from June to July. Is it on June behind him? Do you? Do you I, it, no, no, it, you. Oh, me? Oh, yeah. I see. I don't have any calendars. Maybe that's why I don't know what the holiday is uh and skeet uh works out of the bolingbrook office uh which uh, for those of you who are not from chicago is a suburb west of chicago kind of southwest right would you say skeet perfect yes yeah and um you were uh almost at ground zero Uh uh-oh Legata's leaving. I, I don't know if we're going to have a chance. She's, she's, see, she, the show gets going and she's out of here. So uh, that might be it for Legata Cam. Uh, but you, uh, Bolingbrook is, was kind of ground zero for a couple of tornadoes, couple, three tornadoes that came by two weeks ago. Uh, yes, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, Skeet sent me 8,000 pictures. <laughs> Uh, that um, and we're going to see a lot of them this morning. So welcome, Skeet, and then uh, the person on the right, Julie Janowski. And am I pronouncing it? Is that how you pronounce your last name, Julie? It is. Okay, great. And she is the manager at the plant clinic at the Morton Arboretum, and she gets inundated with all kinds of plant questions every day. Um, and has to deal with them, uh, unlike Skeet, who gets to go on site and examine a tree firsthand, often you're doing it, what, via email uh, and probably texts and pictures and people bringing in samples. Um, Tell me how that works, Julie. So the plant clinic at the Morton Arboretum is a free service that the Arboretum offers to to the public, and you can call us, you can email us, you can um, send us pictures in our email, you can walk in if you're on site, um, and we answer about 17,000 questions a year for somewhere between wow. eight and 10,000 people wow. a year. Um, and we do that with staff, and then we have a dedicated core of volunteers who are well-trained in horticulture as well. Okay, and, uh, and, that's, and that's what a lot of reputable uh, uh, Arboreta and and uh, botanical gardens do. Many of them have plant clinics, and it's a great service for folks because this this is how you get your questions answered. Mm-hmm. Exactly, it's a personalized service, so you can call anytime. We also ha- happen to have about 750 pages on our website about different trees and plants, um, and. Uh, common questions, and then we publish something called the Plant Healthcare Report during the growing season, which talks about what you should be looking for right now in your garden, what pests, what diseases, what should be blooming, what weeds should be popping up. So that's available also. I'm glad you mentioned that. Go ahead, Peggy. 
I was going to say, and you don't need to be a member of the Arboretum to take advantage of these services. Not at all. We're a free service to the public. Yeah, and the plant healthcare report, um, that along with the uh, University of Illinois Extension newsletter, uh, those are the two go-to things, uh, uh, messages and newsletters that I get uh, that I love. Uh, you can go through and see everything that's going on in the plant world. Usually, well, they not everything. They have to highlight. You got to you got to get you got to highlight the things that are most important because uh, it's hard to cover absolutely everything. But they're invaluable. And Peggy, if you get a chance, maybe you can put the links for both of those up there. I didn't even think about that when I I I, I you know it's second nature for me. I just get them. And, uh, yeah, and ref- in my and ref- inbox, so. yeah, exactly. But uh, a lot of folks probably don't even know about the plant health care report from the Morton Arboretum. And you can go to the Morton Arboretum website, uh, mortonarb.org, and, uh, and, and find that. You just type in plant health care report and boom, it'll take you right there. Um, whereas uh, we'll need to send you the link to uh, the University of Illinois Extension newsletter and they're both great and i and i highly recommend even if you don't live in illinois if you live in the midwest they're going to come in handy for you so uh that's a great start here so uh skeet let's uh let's get to you and start with you uh i'm going to ask uh when uh, <laughs> on uh, two weeks ago on sunday how did you first get wind that something was wrong and uh, you were going to have a busy couple of weeks coming up well, it's interesting. How did I get wind of that? That's, that would be a Mike Nowak question of Thank a tornado. There we go. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, it, it happened that night when my beautiful bride said, uh, hey, the sirens are going off. <clears throat> so that, that would be the first <clears throat> excuse me, indication that, uh, that the next day is going to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, and so then it was a matter of getting up extra early and – uh, radio, news, uh, phone, um, getting updates and, and seeing what was happening and then driving to work, taking a different route to get to work and get to work early and um, get, a, get a little taste of the destruction and just a just horrific, life-changing event and uh, getting into the office and getting into a storm damage mode at the office and seeing what we need to do to take care of our clients and and it's about the people then the trees yeah and and what what can we do to take care of our own people safety first it's it's uh, a way of life for our business yeah and and then um receiving the calls the emails the pictures and uh, as, as we have fun with words triage uh the works first <laughs> And and just work, working our way through safely. Yeah, you know what? I was just going to pop up a photo, and, and this is the way these things work. You sent me a photo, uh, and I'm going to find it now. But it's of course it has suddenly disappeared. It was the the one photo I was going to start with, and suddenly it, whoop, it's not there. Um, but it was of the folks. Uh, you sent me a, a photo of folks walking down the street. And and you said they kind of looked like zombies. Uh, this was the day after, um, and it really had that feel to it. And, and, and explain what that was. Sure, the, um, the tornado came through in, in the middle of the night, and so this was dark, scary. Uh, people were inside, 
And so the next morning, uh, the, the photo is of an association. I've been very fortunate. They've trusted me for 25 years. And I've never seen this many people out walking and talking to neighbors and decompressing. And, and each person had their own story of the event and then walking through the damaged trees. <clears throat> As we're trying to explain, this is not a great place you want to be walking. Yeah. And cars are driving around trees and streets and people are walking in and, and it was you know you're you're the wordsmith mike and i'm going to do my best to explain that people were socializing with each other decompressing of the of this event talking with each other and then walking around their friends being the trees and, and really saying goodbye to their to their friends and people were and- and there's the yeah. uh, the photo there. Uh, it's yeah. uh, I, I managed to track it down, and and you can see Perfect. that. Yeah, and <clears throat> and and they were kind of at a loss as to yes. what to do at that point, weren't they? What what to do? What to say? I mean, again, this is life changing events, and <clears throat> and we need to be very respectful to these people as we're nicely explaining. We got big trucks, big equipment, and, and we're here to resolve the situation which means destroying the trees and chipping them up and making the situation safer and and um that that's that's the tough part of what we do because when you have a tree like this it's it's not going to be put back it's not going to be saved it needs to get cleaned up we need to get some resolution we need to get this out of the street for their own safety cars are coming around this people are walking around um, so it, it's it's a, a process or people first. Um, <clears throat> this also shows an example of uh, Norway maples and uh, the situation of girdling roots. And you can see this, this incredible girdling roots around these Norway maples that they, like an umbrella, popped so out of the ground with the horrific winds. Skate for... Uh- Viewers who might not know what girdling roots are, could you please explain? Oh, sure. Thank you, Peggy. Girdling roots are roots that, you know, instead of coming out around and, and excuse me, coming down and, and growing lateral along the ground, they would twist and circle the trunks of the tree. So they go around. Um, sometimes you see this, like you pull a tree out of a five-gallon bucket and you see those roots encircling the tree. Well, if that tree is planted without having those roots untangled or unfurled or cut, they would just circle around the trunk of the tree. And that black line uh, around the base of the tree is an indication that that tree had girdling roots. And so Mm. it already had a weakened root system. It doesn't have that normal root flare or bulge or um, it looks like a telephone pole. Right. Uh, And that's the indication of of roots going around the tree as opposed to going out away from the tree uh, and in this section of this association there were many many norway maples uh, you know wonderful shade thick dense and, and yet when you have a horrific windstorm like we had a tornado these were just popped out of the ground like umbrellas and and carried wow. down the street yeah, uh, it's because they they were not anchored properly into the ground, and so they were susceptible. On the other hand, uh, almost any tree 
will sub- succumb to those kinds of winds, right, Skeet? Correct, and we've got some other pictures where trees have twisted and broke, sheared, or the tops have been broken, and that's a different type of storm damage. There you go. Thank you, Mike. Your aces. Um, where that's that's a ash tree. Um, that was a tree we've treated and survived emerald ash borer, and you know we're we're proud of this tree, and yet. The tornado came in and twisted the top, same wind, same area. Um, this was uh, across the street. And so that tree had a different anchoring point, had a better root system, root flare. And so the storm damage is different on this tree than it would be on a Norway maple tree. And here's another one. This is a, a, yes. a, yet another tree. And again, the, this tree is still in the ground, but... It has yes. suffered. And now, I asked you this question the other day. Uh, for those of you watching, uh, or, or listening rather to the podcast, um, there's still some branches on this tree, but it has been really devastated by the winds. And the question I ask Skeet is: Is can you save this tree? Save saves a tough word. We could certainly prune all the broken split limbs, and we would expose that tree to so much potential decay in there that. Um, it would not be a long standing. We, we would not be doing that tree or the neighborhood a, a service by leaving that tree uh, and, and better to start over with right tree, right spot, right way uh, than it mm-hmm. would be to, to be setting that tree up for failure and disappointment down the road because that, that the decay would get into that tree quicker than the healing would because the amount of um, d- destruction in that tree. And I imagine that's something you awesome. have... Go, go ahead, Peggy. I was going to say, especially in the middle of the summer versus winter, right? Where more insects and everything is, can get in now? Yes. And, um, you know, good point, yes. In, in, in the, what we don't see from the picture is when we get close to the tree, we examine each one of these trees, is there's also shears and cracks going down internally into mm. that tree. Ah, okay. Yeah, and like... Well, I didn't structural mean to, perfect. Let's pull this out. I'm going to see this um, yeah. this tree. Um, this is another one that still has limbs, but it, it almost looks like it's been topped. Like the top of yes. the tree was taken off, um, and that's not a good thing to do to a tree, and that's not going to lead to its survival, is it? Correct. Correct. And in in um, in these pictures have been shown to the association as we've been making these decisions with explanations of what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, and the reasons beyond um, just to, to just to cut down trees for the sake that they've been damaged. Um, there's many trees, and uh, what I should have sent to you is some uh, before and after pictures of the <laughs> trees we have we have saved out at the association. Yeah, just in the excitement of getting pictures to you i've sent you the the, the oh, worst no, that, i've not sent you the here's what we did to save the trees too no that's okay um, so, i mean uh, we yeah. we have as we know what trees look like before and uh that's certainly the after the photo so now i'm going to go to uh julie and ask you the same question is how did you find out about it and how did you gear up for what was going to be an onslaught yeah, so I found out about it via email. I was unfortunately out of town, or fortunately out of town. Um, but Plant Clinic um, got a lot of calls about 
uh, what to do about their trees. And we spent a lot of time explaining safety issues. There might be downed wires, there might be loose limbs, and that they should be calling somebody like Skeet right away to a certified arborist to help them safely evaluate and remove these trees. Um, you know, we can look at a picture and tell somebody, you know, okay, that looks like it, it might survive, but we can't see that structural damage that somebody who's on site can see. And so we spent a lot of time that week really directing people to professionals like Skeet who can come on site, evaluate the trees, remove the remove what needed to be removed. Um, our thing about storms is that once a storm occurs, everybody's like, well, what do I do? And our point is really, how can you prepare your plants for these sorts of events. A tornado, you're not going to be able to keep the tree safe, but if you're pruning properly, if you plant properly, if you make sure they're healthy and, and that kind of thing, they're going to stand up mm -hmm. to these windstorms, to this damage much better if you do some advanced care rather than waiting until it's popped out of the ground like an umbrella, as Skew was saying. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and you bring up a couple of really good points, which are... First, is is that the, the that saw, Peggy? Is that what you were talking about? Yes. That is, yes. A, it's it's almost the perfect sound effect for this. Like, okay, <laughs> now we're taking out the trees. <laughs> wow. <Good> job, son. <clears throat> okay, I love it when you turn it on. and We keep hearing that. Um, That's not me. <laughs> I know, but it's hilarious. Uh, Julie, um, the, you you give good advice, which is to say, well, we're not there, um, but also it's look up, look down. Are wires affected? Uh, what else uh, is is nearby? And safety first, which is is um, uh, Bartlett Tree Experts' motto. Um, and uh, uh, get both of you back in here to talk about the safety aspect of it. There are people who want, who who think they can go out and handle it themselves, or at least some of it themselves. And I would guess that both of you say, you know what, you should leave that to the experts. Um, uh, Julie, start with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people say, oh, it's just one hanging limb. I can go up there and, and cut it off. But if you're standing on the ladder with a chainsaw with a 600-pound limb, there's all kinds of ramifications to that. It could hit something else. It could hit you. It could, you know, it could come down in the wrong direction. So, yeah, we absolutely tell people to go contact somebody who has the proper safety training, has the proper safety equipment, one, to evaluate what's going on with that particular tree, but also to make sure that you're not hurting yourself or somebody else in doing that. Yeah. And Skeet, uh, you, you must, okay. I have two questions for you. One is that the safety thing, but it's yes. also, um, if you have a client who's had an issue like this, I imagine they, because your business, they have to come first. Uh, but I imagine at the same time, you're getting all kinds of phone calls from people who are not clients who say, how soon can you get out? You have to uh, go to your clients first, I would imagine. Absolutely. I'll take the second question first. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's clients first. I mean, that, that's the way it is. They're clients. They've trusted us. Uh, there's a relationship built there. And so we, we take care of our existing clients. That's, that's, uh, it's very simple. It's just that easy. Uh, we're we're going to take care of our, our clients first. Well, what about um, the safety? Our, yeah. And as the safety. Our, yeah. As far as the safety point of this goes, uh, yeah. You know, for, for homeowners, this is unfortunate time when a lot of different interesting tree companies come out. And so 
proper insurance. I mean, gee whiz. I mean, you've got a dangerous tree in your yard. You just got to make sure the people that are working on that are insured. And, and it's you should not be embarrassed as a homeowner to say, I'd like to see a certificate of your insurance. And I'm going to call your insurance company to make sure this is not just generated over the Internet. So, <laughs> which, which happens. And so you want to make sure the people that are working on your property are insured. And so are you. Uh, accredited tree care company, certified arborist. Uh, I mean, again, quick decisions are made. People are just not used to this mode. Yeah. And, and so I, I just can't stress enough the people on your property got to be insured because it could go from bad to worse real quick. Uh, and, and so that's but, critical. But that said, uh, I imagine you also tell people, back away from the tree unless it's in your window and you need you know to to get it out and and there are circumstances i mean you you sent me photos i don't even know if we're gonna have a chance to get to them of complete homes that were gone and uh, a whole row of homes boarded up uh because they had all sustained so much damage that they were not livable um this is that's crazy stuff it's uh you know so the idea that you think you can go out there and don't worry i'll take care of my own tree uh, that's just been damaged by a do- tornado is probably a pretty dangerous thing. Or a microburst yes. or a windstorm or... Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. And, and, and it's, a, it's a tough one here, Mike, because people and Peggy, um, people want to do something. And in our chippers, we can we could put a 100-foot limb in that chipper. We can put it at one end and it chews it up 100 feet. And then we have the homeowner says, hey, that 100-foot limit, boy, I helped you out. I cut it into two-foot pieces. Oh, so now, we gotta, now we've got 50 limbs to carry? <laughs> oh, boy. I'm you sorry. <laughs> but that, that's the reality, Land. You know, I get there, I look at it and say, don't do a thing. We got you covered. And then we get there in the morning and they go, oh, look, I helped you. Uh-huh. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> Not really. And yet yeah. they feel like they want to do something. They, they feel helpless. Yeah, uh, I and, get it. And, 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 and it, you know, and you, the last thing you want to do is say, what the heck were you doing? Yeah, you can't. Uh, you it, can't do that, obviously. But no, uh, it, it, yeah, and, you know, and, 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 you know, boy, I mean, I mean, boy, they got that chainsaw. It's been sitting in the garage for three years and now they can <laughs> fire that baby up and let's go. And man, as a matter of fact, I can help my neighbors all the way down the street. Oh, it's like and, Peggy right now with her neighbor doing that. So uh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm hearing so, a chainsaw down the street, too. Are you? I mean, oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's you got a little bit. Got, that, yeah, there's a chop saw next door and a chainsaw down the block. So, you know, here we are. All right. All right. Well, well we need to take a break here. Uh, uh, but. Uh, for those of you watching us this morning, uh, and I say watching because I'm going to pop up something on the screen here that this is a quiz, and we are going to entertain answers. And you know what? Um, if folks entertaining so, answers, we will. And yes, and we would like entertaining answers. Um, and if folks have any idea what this is, because this is when we get into our chemical <laughs> talk in the in the next half hour, uh, Skeet sent this to me, and if you can tell me what this is. Uh, and and put your answers on the screen there, and we'll see if anybody gets this right. Because I, Skeet, I tried last night. I could not figure this out. Okay, um, and here here's the 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 graphic. What is this product? Original three in one fluid, flammable poison, 
contains methanol and danger, danger, <laughs> danger, Will Robinson is all over that uh, label. Any idea, folks, what this is? Apparently, it must be a popular product because it's the original whatever it is. Um, and I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, Skeet, I have no idea what this was. I tried to figure it out, and uh, I took the clues the best I could. Of course, I was trying to put the show together, too, so I didn't have that much time. Uh, but there you go. If anybody knows what this, you know who might know Dan Costa. I bet he's a guy who might figure this out. But uh, so Mike, that, Mike, guess the, Mike, the good news is we're not in California because it's known in the state of California to cause birth defects. Okay. Well, yeah, so, you know, sometimes I want to be in California just for that reason because yeah. they're they get yes. ahead they get ahead of the curve on it. So there you go. That's yes. that is our contest for this morning. I might pop that up again uh, in case folks want to see the label one more time. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're talking trees. We're talking storm damage. Uh, we'll be talking planting and mm-hmm. chemicals and other stuff. So stick around. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Once upon a time, in a place called Mzansi, the people love driving cars everywhere. They use lots and lots of electricity and chop down many trees for firewood. And then a very strange thing happened. The weather began to change. In some places there were droughts where before there was rain. In other places, the rivers flooded. The grown-ups realized they were contributing to the strange weather. They discovered if they used clean energy and less electricity, they could save Mzansi for their children. What happened then? How the story unfolds is up to each and every one of us. Switch off, recycle, change. Help save tomorrow, today. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. And, whoa, we saw, there he is. We lost you there for a second, Skeet. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And we're talking trees this morning, Skeet, from Bartlett Tree Experts, uh, Julie Janowski from the Morton Arboretum, the plant clinic at the Morton Arboretum. And I should mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't, that uh, Bartlett uh, is the sponsor of the plant clinic 
at the Morton Arboretum. So uh, they're all over the place. You are uh, you work for a good outfit there, Skeet. And, of course, full disclosure, they are the primary sponsor of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we're proud of that. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit. Um, I, and, and, and let me let me just – I'm going to whip through these really quick uh, – Skeet, because uh, this is some of the damage that that I mentioned before that we didn't get a chance to see. There used to be a house there, right? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, and uh, that just uh, that and, ca- and trees, yeah. and and trees, right? Um, and uh, here's a, another view of that. Uh, and then you took some uh, shots here. This is that row of homes. As you can see, they're all boarded up. Uh, which means they're they're not safe to live in right now. Um, and when that happens to a community, wow, there's just uh, there's there's not. And I I mean I could go through and show you some more of the photos, but it's it's sort of you know some of them the trees like this got ripped out of the ground. Um, you know, not all of them got snapped, but then some ended up like this. That is just denuded. There's nothing left uh, of that of that tree um and uh others again like this i mean we could go on for days just showing these oh but i have to show this one uh skeet i'm so glad you took this photo this is stunning um explain what we've got there skeet that is a downspout that came off of a house not on the ground but off the uh side of the building and then the velocity of the winds, uh, fortunately, the light pole was there to catch that before it hit anybody or anything else other than a light pole. Yes. Isn't that uh, amazing? And, and that's what I was thinking, too, is that it is uh, lucky that the pole caught that and it wrapped itself around that pole. And that is just absolutely, absolutely amazing and, and unlike uh, anything uh, you might see. So uh, at, now I want to go to, let me find, uh, let's, we've talked about storm damage. We've talked, that, go ahead, Peg. I was going to say, do you have the the one photo of, I presume it was a large oak that was toppled over with the flag in front of it so you can see how huge the roots are? No, I don't have that. Where? Did, okay. did, did, that was from I think that was a, a white pine that fell onto the fire station and then we also had the photo of the two pear trees, one destroyed, one standing. Oh, right. I am so sorry. I, I missed that. I am so sorry. Um, and yeah. <laughs> loading no pressure, all Mike, as, as, I, as I stand here and, and direct your show. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I brought that one up was I think Skeet had commented, and, and I, I could be wrong, Skeet had commented because of all the drought and then all the rain, how that affected just the roots being able to pull out. Yeah, and I and I, you know there were just so many uh, it yeah. slipped it slipped through the cracks, and I apologize for that. But I wanted I want to show you this. I want to uh, show you this photo uh, and ask folks out there what is the connection between this photo and this photo, and there is a connection between the two. Um. And I'm going to let Julie start. So we mo- what? Yeah. So yeah, we moved on from storm damage. Right. We're going now into we're, we're going into something yeah. else. And uh, these things are connected. This is not storm damage, Julie. What are we looking at? So 
this is actually um, herbicide damage, broadleaf herbicide damage. Um, people don't recognize that when they put their lawn chemicals down that if the weather is too hot or too dry, some of that product can aerolize and it can damage the leaves on your trees. Or in the picture of that other one, if you continuously treat a root system that's, that's susceptible, um, you can actually hurt your trees with some of those products. So you want to be really careful about when you use those products, where you use those products. Um, it's, you know, broadleaf herbicide damage. Um, if you live near a farm, sometimes if they're treating the fields with those types of products, you can get um, much more severe damage. Um, but you want to be aware, even in, in your local neighborhoods, of, of how much of those products that you're using. This, this is not necessarily herbicide damage. Okay, I was wondering, because it didn't have a label on it, and I was going, so you think that this, this might be a disease that we're talking about? This actually could be anthracnose, which is a disease, or it could be um, some drought damage. You'll notice that most of the damage is between the veins. The veins are what move water. Yeah. Um, and so if you start to see drought damage, you're going to see it along the edges, or you're going to see it intervenally like this. Um, so that's, uh, you know, not necessarily um, herbicide damage. Could it be? Possibly. Usually with herbicide damage, what we're seeing is we're seeing distorted leaves. They might be smaller. Um, you are seeing some distortion on this. Yeah. Um, but my guess is that this is not herbicide right. damage. Well, let's go back then to this one because, Skeet, this is one of your trees. And tell me uh, what you know about this. Okay. Um, this is a super-duper nice client, great guy, and I just, I just felt horrible when, when he called me and, and, and went out there and, you know, walked. This is in the backyard and seeing this over the top of the house, you know, the initial reaction is, yikes, and, yeah. and it's going to take a little work to investigate, and, and that's what we're here for. Uh, and so taking a look of, of the surroundings and what's going on, um, we, we do have another picture of the low sprouts in the tree, and that immediately was the red flag. And then you'll see the wilting, withering of the leaves. Um, and uh, there you go. Thank you, Mike. Um, this, this is definitely some kind of uh, chemical herbicide damage. Um, and, and him and I have, have talked about this, and, and the challenge is we, we certainly don't want to go there and blame somebody, and this is not a finger-pointing um, exercise. Um, nobody does this on purpose, uh, and, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was not Bartlett Tree Experts out there. It was another contractor or neighbor or somebody else um, did something on the property, and this was the result, uh, and, and so we just want to find out and the homeowner wants to find out how this happened why it happened and, and not to continue it because to the right or to the south of this big oak tree is another tree that is starting to exhibit the same um, uh, effects of this application uh, what we suspect and i do not know i suspect um, is there's underneath this tree you'll see there's a gorgeous outdoor carpet and we suspect something was put on that carpet that then went through the carpet that is now affecting the, the uh, oak roots. And, and the oak is taking up this product. And this is the result of, of an application. Mm. Uh, so uh, the homeowners 
devastated and and um and as you look to the neighbor's property, there's there's no other trees affected onto the neighbor's property. Mm. And so we're just trying to narrow this down uh, so it does not continue. And the, uh, the, yeah, so uh, is that is that tree savable at this point? With with chemical or herbicide or, or uh, this type of damage, we don't know. There, there's no formula for this. It depends on what was put down, how much was put down, the species, uh, and, and so there, there's, there's no formula. Um, and on this much devastation, this quickly, I do not have good news. Uh, and, and even if half the tree was saved in this tree of, and where it's located, um, I, I would be doubtful the homeowner would want that look. Uh, and so it's going to be a wait and see situation. And, and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Julie, uh, you mentioned you saw this the other day and mentioned something about uh, that gravel path there under the tree that might be causing other problems. Well, it, it depends on when it was put in. This tree looks yeah. much older than that dry riverbed. Yeah. Um, oak trees hate to have their roots disturbed. And if they had to dig down you know, even eight or 12 inches, they cut most of the root system of this tree off. If that's, if that's what they did, I don't have the backstory on this one, right. of course, but, um, but you can do a lot of damage by even edging. If you go down and edge, you know, those, that nice neat circle around your tree and edge down four to six inches, you're cutting mm -hmm. off some pretty significant roots. And now the tree has to survive on what's inside that circle. So you want to be really careful. Um, most tree roots are horizontal. They don't go deep, um, as we've all grown up to think that, you know, the tree underneath looks just like the tree above ground. Um, what's which true is that it actually, most of the roots are in the top 12 to 24 inches of soil, and they're very horizontal. And they can spread two to three times um, the width of the canopy. So, um, you know, we've gotten pictures where somebody put a patio in all the way around a beautiful tree and then next season it died and they don't quite understand what happened. Well, to put a good patio in, you have to dig down 12 to 14 inches to put your underlayment in and then put the brick on and they've cut all the roots off. So you just want to be aware of, of what's below ground as well as what's above ground. All right. I want to uh, put some other photos up here that this is from a presentation that skeet does um and i suspect this is some of the same issue that we've been talking about um i don't know what that species it looks like it might be a burning bush but um maybe it's not nice, nice job it's, those are burning bush oh okay mm -hmm. well that's what yeah. people grow they love their burning bushes <laughs> and i always say can't you find something else find a nice native plant and then but they love that color in the fall so two of these guys look like they're in trouble skeet Yes. Uh, this is another fantastic homeowner who called us and said, boy, you know, my, my shrubs don't look real good. And, and so just walking up, a professional would know immediately what's going on. And what's going on is um, you look at the rocks and look at the mulch ring and look at the stone or the boulders around there. And you, you see there's not a whole lot of weeds going on in that bed. Ah, and you look at the the yellow edges around those uh, boulders around the outside there. Yeah. This is somebody's doing some heavy herbiciding, and so they you know they've they have ch achieved the success. 
there is no weeds in that bag. <laughs> and, and nothing's there growing probably, there. No. There would be nothing growing in there. And so you got to put a little couple, couple little mushroom landscape features in there. So you, you got a little life in that bed, you know, even if they're fake. And, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, and then this is the bummer because, you know, there's so many great products out there. And yet we see these products and we're seeing this more and more and more. I mean, I really got to emphasize this. We are seeing this more and more that this uh, Roundup Extended or Roundup 365, you know, boy, yeah, there we go. Cool. Thanks, Mike. You know, boy, you know, let's throw this down. We just need to put it down once and it works for 365 days. I mean, holy moly, this is, this is some, you know, when when the bottle says kills in, in big, bold letters, it sure does. And, yeah. <laughs> and hopefully there's nothing else in that bed you want to live because this kills and prevents for 12 months, one application. And so if you really want to kill it dead, boy, you could do this two or three times. And then that, that, that bed, I bet it was put down a few more times. More is better. There you go. Uh, yep. Yeah. If some is good, yeah. more is better. It's the American way. Um, right. And, and we're seeing this more and more. I mean, and, you know, and, and, and for people that are just not educated – and for um, some of the lawn companies that are out there, you know, instead of doing monthly shots, you could just put this down once and boy, you're done for the year. And for the homeowner, time's valuable. Why All right. not put this down once? Yeah. Uh, okay. I have to, that leads me to a question that I have for both of you. And I don't know if, if you can answer it, but it's something that uh, I've, uh, thought about for a long time because I've been preaching the dangers of, of rampant chemical use in yards. Uh, my feeling personally is that 95% of the time you don't need anything and that you're just wasting your money and you're hurting the soil and you're hurting uh, plants and you're and the hurting water, the you're, runoff. The, you're hurting the biology. And, um, but, and the thing about Roundup is they have all these different products. You just showed the Roundup 365, which you can... But the whole point of Roundup in the first place was you apply it, uh, the plant absorbs it, it doesn't persist in the soil, boom, done, we move on. What happened to that philosophy that Roundup was... You know, there are people out there now who say Roundup is completely benign. All right, it's totally benign. You shouldn't worry about anything as long as you use it properly. Um, nothing bad is going to happen. But the problem is, in America, as we said, is people don't use it properly. They don't read and follow label directions, which is why when I talk to people, and this is me, radio guy and garden guy who goes out and talks to garden groups, I say, no. If if you ask me whether you should use this product, I say no. And and the reason is because I don't think you're going to use it right. Now, if you can prove me wrong, great. But I, that is my problem with it. Um, yeah. Um, Julie? If, if I could say, my, uh, you know, we prefer to look at it the other way and ask people to look at the active ingredient and read the labels. The labels are legally how this product should be used. And um, the, the government, whether you believe that or not, that's entirely your choice, um, has said that if you use this product according to the label – then it is safe to use. Um, So we tell people, though, to read the labels. People don't follow the safety instructions. Roundup, even when it first came out, um, first of all, the imidacloprid or the uh, um, glyphosate um, is, you know, is that product that is gets absorbed by the plant. Um, 
some of those other products that were in the active ingredients of 365 plus the percentage of glyphosate in that is going to ensure that yeah you're pretty much going to have some reaction in the soil so you need to read the labels you need to understand what um, what they're telling you on the labels and you need to protect yourself because obviously there have been some um, some lawsuits about about roundup um, but people need to wear gloves they need it's all about how much exposure you have so yeah. the product says wear gloves wear long sleeves wear long pants wash those clothes separately that's the kind of product that this is and if you read the label you can then decide whether you're willing to take that risk or not to kill a few of those weeds you know in that bed or if you'd rather just sit out there and pull them out yeah, and if you and, and here and you talked about active ingredients. If you looked at this label, the three sixty five, uh, the glyph, glyphosate is eighteen percent. That's a lot of product. That and mm-hmm. and then it's got amazepic, ammonium salt. That's one point six, and diquat dibromide, point uh, seven three. You know, there's that's not very much, but that's that's an unholy trio there but and this one is amazing uh, you mentioned the labels and and uh, skeet sent this to me and this is wonderful it says if you look on the right side do not use in areas that will be planted or seeded within four months or around unestablished plants shrubs or trees holy smoke and and so somebody's and this is the roundup extended control and there are so many different roundup products now about 15 years ago i did a, a talk where there were at least eight and I, and i'll bet there's three times that number now it's just uh amazing how much uh is out there and how much mischief you can get into uh just by buying these products right you people know, need to would, understand that add... it's now go ahead skeet yeah, thank you, Julie. I, I would just uh, reiterate what, what Julie's saying. What we're looking at is, unfortunately, the exceptions, and we're looking at what people have not used the product correctly. Um, this is not a time to beat up on Roundup. It's more of a time to remind people that it's the right product, the right way, the right use, read the label. This is more of a uh, applicator situation than it is the actual chemical product or the chemical name or the chemical company this is people just not doing what's correct on the label i get that skeet i get that it's a combination of both okay it is it is a a product that is by because on purpose very toxic uh and folks who get sold the problem also is advertising they get sold to build goods uh because the, they don't say on tv uh they just say read and follow label directions they don't say if you put this near a new tree you're going to kill it um and that would be honest but it's they dodge weave and dodge and and say this yeah. is you know you really you're going to love this product because it kills right away and that is the whole point and the homeowner is, goes oh cool just what i need i got five seconds to get it done all right and they're not trained right. It's, it's a suite of products, and read the labels. I mean, right. the labels are a legal document. Read the labels. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, we're running out of time, but I wanted to get something uh, and Julie uh, to something, and that was about planting trees. Uh, and and we never ever have enough time to talk about tree selection, and we won't today. Uh, but I will advise people that if they want to know what trees to plant in their yard, go to the Morton Arboretum, go to their website, look at their their selections there, um, and then talk to their arborist, talk to 
people like Julie at the plant clinic um, and gets and ex- describe your situation and what you have, what you want to accomplish, and that will help. Um, what I want to ask you, Julie, real quick, and Skeet, you too, and then I want to show some planting photos before we go, um, is – uh, we had this severe drought, and then some areas had a bunch of rain dr- uh, dumped on them. Uh, what happens to a plant? Uh, and we'll start with you, Julie, uh, when you're in a drought for months and months, and then suddenly you get eight, eight inches of rain. Yeah, so the the drought and the, the rain are two different issues, but when combined, they can be a, they can be more of a problem than one or the other independently. In a drought, what happens, we were talking about how the root system is in the top 12 or 24 inches of soil, and that's what dries out first. So you lose all of the feeder roots in a severe drought like what we were having, um, and so the trees are already this root system's already damaged. They're unable to take up as much water. And then if you've got waterlogged, soil, you also have a problem in that that will kill feeder roots as well. So whatever root system wasn't damaged by the drought, now you've got all of this inundation um, that can cause as much damage as the drought. And when you have the back and forth, that stresses the tree um, as well. So um, it's the one-two punch. With droughts, we often see damage, you know, four, six, eight years down the road because it takes that long for a mature tree to reestablish its root systems. And we're still seeing damage from the last three springs, which were record-breaking rains. And now we're going to have, you know, possibly the combination of that this summer. So um, the weather is weird, you know. Take care of your trees (laughs) as best you can. And uh, Skeet, I bet you're seeing a lot of that. In addition to storm damage, you're seeing drought and uh, uh, damage from uh, excessive rain too, right? Exactly. And Julie really, really nailed it there. And that's why we recommend watering in between rainfall because we can keep those little feeder roots alive and more is not better. Uh, Roots actually suffocate. They need the oxygen. So uh, we want to water in between periods of rainfall. So we have these heavy rainfalls um, that the tree still has a a viable root system. And uh, watering every day is not good. Watering once a week is good because, Uh, again, that that tree needs the oxygen. There's no magical mouth powered at the trunk of the tree. You don't (laughs) plug in the hose to the trunk of the tree. The little feeder roots are on the outside. So we can go on and on. We can talk all about watering, and we can have some fun with that another day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but but the point is, yeah, if you're in drought, water your tree, water deeply uh, and infrequently. I mean, not so like once a week, uh, but deeply. Um, and uh, so that the, 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 the roots chase the water down. Um, don't sprinkle it uh, lightly because, uh, as I've often said, uh, you're telling the tree that it doesn't need roots. If you're out there uh, giving it, you know, a little drop uh, every, uh, every day, uh, as you say, that can be a problem. All right, really quickly, because, uh, Julie, you sent this to me, planting a tree. Uh, I want to get right to this. There's a, one in a, in a container. I got to I got to mention something though when I saw this photo and I look at the caliper of that tree and the the size of the container how small the container is that's a large caliper for that and caliper is the size the the diameter of of the trunk that that tree has had you know and they say that you lose 95% of the roots when you dig up a tree uh to put it in a container and sell it to somebody or or or, or around that that tree looks like it had a lot of roots removed to me Julie 
Well, Mike, some of these trees are container grown, though. So you may actually okay. have the entire root system of this tree. And caliper is measured um, sort of at chest level. So you're not really seeing, um, you know, this is probably only about an inch in caliper um, further up the tree. Well, oh, um, okay, here here we go here. So It's pretty, okay, pretty yeah. it's, 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 it's pretty much right. all you're the right. way up. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. It should have been transplanted earlier. You're correct. I'm just thinking that was, and I, I'm not trying to call you out. I was just kind of taken by this. I looked at that and I went, wow, that tree needs to get in the ground now. It needs to get some roots going. Um, and- right. But what I want you to notice in this picture is that um, that root flare that Skeet was talking about that in those other trees was buried that caused the circling roots. One, there were no circling roots in that pot. Two, you can see the root flare above the soil line, which is really important. A lot of trees get planted too deeply. And down the road, it causes a lot of problems and even plant death because it girdles the tree over time. Um, And then the other thing to notice is that, um, you know, the the, um, hole is is much, well, it should be, it is much wider than the actual um, tree. And it's planted exactly at level with the soil level. At grade is, yeah, is what they say. At grade with the soil. So that's what you're really looking at in these pictures. um, And that was what the demonstration was about. Um, And then, of course, um, water it in. And you're going to mulch to keep that soil moisture in to protect it from lawn equipment. But you're going to want to keep that mulch at least four or five inches away from the base of the tree so that it doesn't hold water against the bark and damage the bark. And here you can um, see the uh, the root flare. You can see that it's above ground, yeah. which is what you need. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the that's what the whole demonstration was about is to make sure you're planting at proper depth to make sure you're giving this this um, root system a chance to spread out um, that you're keeping the mulch away no volcano mulching please um, you know, we, <laughs> oh, boy. We're, we're really trying to encourage people not to do that that's our favorite topic um, here yeah. yeah 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 and then also you may as you were saying make sure to keep it watered and there are lots of ways you can do water a new tree um you know the gator bags work the uh, watering by hand is fine um, but just making sure especially newer trees need more water than older trees do but older trees still need consistent watering to keep that fine reader fine feeder root system alive i have to say if that's the same tree boy it leafed out nice uh yeah no different tree different tree oh okay i was wondering if that, <laughs> okay and i and i and again i'm not trying to bust you here i just looked at that oh, and please. i went uh, uh no i just looked at that and i thought wow that's a large caliper for such a small root ball that's uh that was uh, interesting skeet you got any observations there about planting before we go <laughs> right tree, right spot, right way, right time of the year, and right things will happen. Fantastic. That's a great way to wrap up. Skeet from Bartley. Yes, Peggy. Hang on. Oh, we, we got the label. We, we, we need the answer to the oh, label. The, oh, my gosh. You're right. Thank you so much. I almost. Uh, I, I have a guess. Deb, Deborah Moulton said um, window washer fluid. Uh, let me get that label back up here. Here we go. There's the label. And we were wondering what that was. I, like I said, I don't have a clue. What did you say it was, Peggy? Well, Deb suggested um, window washing fluid. My guess was going to be charcoal lighter. Uh-huh. And uh, I was going to say some. I had – oh, I don't even know what I, – um, I can't remember. I had something in mind, but I cannot remember what it was that uh, – 
Okay, uh, uh, aspartame is what I'm going to say. <laughs> what is it? Lantern Skeet? fuel. Skeet, can you tell us? Sure. WD-40. Want to put me back up? Yeah, I will put you back up. And in fact, let me get Here's the... Here's the label. Uh-huh. Okay, Deb gets it. Deb gets it. Woo-hoo. And that is windshield wiper. Yep. Wait, okay. If I if I can pop that out, hold Very just nice. hold hold still. There we go. Yeah. Yep. All right, Deb. Deb, we're gonna have to send you something. We'll send you a valuable Wally prize of some kind. Okay. There you go. And it says see safe. And there's our label. So as Julie and I were speaking about, you know, we've got all these different products, and yet how many people take windshield wiper fluid right off the shelf and put it right in their car and really didn't read a label about how dangerous this stuff is. How many times we put this in our car with the car running and it says danger, poison, flammable. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, so, I mean, labels are the law. I mean, this, this is critical. So we, we talk about chemical damage and we talk about chemicals. We, We use these every day. And what we've shown is some ex- is the exceptions. Every day I'm not looking at chemical damage in trees. So people are using it safely. People are using it correctly. Uh, and, and we just, there's, 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 this is more of an exception to the rule. And when I do garden talks and do presentations and put that slide up and then pull up windshield wiper fluid, boy, the chins hit the ground and say, boy, I, I never knew. And and this is something we think is safe, and we use safely, well, and and we really just need to be aware of what we're using and how we're using it. Yeah, but and folks will say, well, what else would I use? But the point is, these chemicals are out there. We mentioned glyphosate in, in Roundup, and uh, Julie, you, you seem to be champing at the bit to say something here. Oh, no, I'm just saying that there are proper uses for all of these chemicals, and there are legal ways to use them properly just be aware that there are some downsides to a lot of these and now the the garden chemicals the um the government has required that if it's a danger for bees that there's actually a new bee label on there if it can damage bee populations Mm -hmm. so um look for that as well if you're really trying to um garden for pollinators you know you don't want to be using those types of products in your in your yard even though they may be effective and safe if you use them another way you know use them properly Again, read and follow. Read the label. Read and follow label directions, folks. Please, 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 and, please. And ask if you really need to use it. Ask that first. You know, it's because I'm telling you, most of the time you don't need it. I'm telling you, you there's no point. Uh, you're being, you're, you know, it's a little bit of brainwashing going on. So. Uh, Think about it first. Think before you reach for the chemical on the shelf. Uh, Listen, Skeet, uh, thank you so much uh, for being here once again. Julie, this was fabulous. We got in a ton of information here, uh, and we're way over time as well, but that's okay. we got to get to our next guest. So uh, thank you both. You have a wonderful 4th of July, and uh, I hope we see you uh, very, very soon. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're talking about piping plovers or plovers, whatever, uh, when we come back. Hi, I'm Vic Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. 
You know, when a tree grows in its ideal form, it's amazing how it's naturally engineered to withstand the challenges of weather and time. But defects in trees are common and make it more likely that a tree or branch will fall over the course of time or in severe weather. Some of these defects can be addressed by the addition of support systems. These systems should be installed by an arborist, one who has specific expertise in following established industry standards to help ensure safety and effectiveness and that the correct tools and equipment are used. A weak branch union, or V-crotch, is one common defect. It may be found close to the ground or higher up in the tree's canopy. Either way, it puts the tree at a serious disadvantage. Excessive movement of these two stems can push the strength of this union past its capacity and cause it to break. So it could use some additional support, an advantage if you will. We can help limit the movement of these two stems by cabling them together higher up in the canopy of the tree. Some trees may also benefit from a bracing rod, which is a threaded rod installed directly through the branch unit. These add strength to the defective area when it experiences excessive force, often caused by these stems twisting in the wind. For over a century, Bartlett Tree Experts has been developing cabling and bracing systems that have become the industry's standard. We can design and install a support system that can help minimize the impact a defect has on your tree and help it to weather the storm. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Bob, I'm going to start by just uh, apologizing to you because we ran roughshod over your time here, but we'll get in a lot of information here, too. Bob Dolgan. Uh, is the uh, author of This Week in Birding. He's the uh, the founder of it as well. And um, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you, Mike. Good to be with you, Peggy. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and uh, we're here to do our update. It's the 4th of July. People are thinking about getting out, going to the parks. And when they think about going to the parks, they think of going to Montrose Beach. That's for sure. It's the most popular beach uh, in the visible universe um, well, certainly in Chicago. Um, and uh, when they get there right now, Bob, uh, and and by the way, the reason Bob is here, because he's been on yeah. the show before to talk about Monty and Rose, the piping plovers uh, who have, uh, I call them Chicago's first couple, um, and I think other people do, um, and they have produced offspring, which are now uh, have gone to places like Lake Erie and are producing more offspring. This is such a great story. This is a success story for conservation, isn't it, Bob? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, 4th of July, talking to you today, this is like one of the pivotal days in the past three years of piping plovers at in Chicago at Montrose Beach because we have to mount such a mighty effort among the volunteers to uh, make sure the uh, fireworks that are 
um, you know, sometimes not very legal that are being set off uh, are far, far away from the piping plovers. But yeah, the story continues to unfold. And for people who don't know or just tuning in for the first time, the piping plovers, uh, Monty and Rose nested in Chicago in 2019 at Montrose Beach, becoming the first piping plovers uh, since 1948 to successfully nest in the city limits. And I think it took everybody by surprise, mostly because there are only about uh, 70 pairs or so of Great Lake pipe, Great Lakes piping plovers left. They're federally endangered. And the story has continued. The birds have come back now for, for three summers in a row. Mm-hmm. And one of their chicks from last year has uh, struck out on his own and become a pioneer in Ohio, uh, a chick by the name of Nish, who's now uh, now nested with a, a, another bird, Nellie, and and just uh, recently, a few days ago, hatched four chicks in Ohio. So the story uh, and the Monty and Rose legacy just live on and on. That That is so cool. I mean, uh, you can go to my website, by the way, folks, uh, my blog post, go to MikeNovak.net, and I've got a link to that story about the success in Ohio. And they're they're plotting over this as much as Chicagoans did because it's been 83 years since nesting plovers uh, were successful uh, in in uh, on Lake Erie there. So uh, this continue one after another. I mean, what's going to be next? Where are they going to go next and, right. and, and set the world on fire? Right. Yeah, no, it is. It's amazing. The story just keeps uh, expanding and evolving. And maybe there's something about these beaches kind of on the lower Great Lakes or on the southern end of the Great Lakes that, you know, haven't had piping plovers in in a lot of years, decades, really. And and these birds are uh, starting to recolonize them, which is uh, Mm -hmm. incredible because that um, just hadn't happened for so long. And maybe it it means that, that the restoration work that has taken place at at beaches, as well as the the effort to increase the numbers of plovers uh, through tracking and 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 banding and and um, even captive rearing, are are uh, are are making a difference. And um, the fact that Chicago and a metropolis could be one of the the areas where the population growth takes place is just I think the yeah, one of the, the coolest and least likely. Uh, aspects of this story. But yes, we've had um, through the years, 200 plus volunteers have uh, been out at Montrose Beach protecting these birds dawn to dusk. And Ohio is uh, quickly getting up to speed and, and they're they're experiencing that thrill of the first summer of having piping plovers and uh, people are really getting into it there. And, and there's a mighty effort there at, at a state park, Maumee Bay, which uh, is, is a very different location in, in many ways uh, versus a place like Montrose Beach, but but not not that different than others, and that it's another uh, Great mm-hmm. Lakes site with a big sandy beach. So it's it's pretty cool to to observe all this. A big sandy beach and probably a big population, uh, people person population well, yeah, there yeah. too. I mean, they, and, they've got yeah. They, they also have it's a very busy area that people go camping there. People uh, have a boat stock there. There's a a resort, a lodge. A, a golf course. So there are a lot of people around, but the, the great thing is it's also Birds an opportunity to educate the public. Yeah. And, yeah. It's high visibility. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And, and the people, I got a chance to visit Ohio and people there are like, you know, who were there for a weekend trip, you know, just kind of taking a walk or going for a bike ride. They were just coming up nonstop asking like, what's going on over here when they saw all the binoculars and scopes and we explained it to them and 
uh, they were like, wow, that that's really cool. I mean, the, yeah. generally the response has been like, wow, I get to see like a really endangered species right in my backyard. And that's that's what's been so cool about this um, in Chicago and now in the Toledo area over there in Ohio. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to, I don't think you give yourself enough credit and the people out there, and I want to direct this at Peggy as well, because Peggy, you, you have for a long time uh, have been a conservationist uh, for the Great Lakes. Um, and as a boater, you've been out there and you've seen the changes. Bob, you alluded to the changes uh, a, a few minutes ago. Um, and they didn't happen by accident. They happened because dedicated people like you, Bob, and other stewards, Leslie Bournes and all the other folks uh, who are out there have planted, put in plants and have fought to get... Uh, uh, acreage set aside for endangered species, whether it's plants or animals. Um, and uh, Peggy, you've seen that uh, happen over the last couple of decades, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Just more and more concern, awareness. You know, I think uh, uh, Alliance for the Great Lakes having the annual Adopt a Beach cleanups has greatly elevated the visibility of the issues. And the more we hear about things like microplastics, the more that's out in the news and, and people are aware of it. I think, you know, as you say, Bob, it's, it's high visibility. It's things people are paying attention to. Yeah. yeah and I, I and think it's, the, it's, um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say not just there, but also the stewards at the forest preserves, for example, I'm thinking like mm-hmm. Labaw woods and everything happening there in Chicago Audubon and Chicago ornithological society and all the other groups. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, all these small parcels of land where habitat can be restored uh, make a difference. And, and mm-hmm. you know, even if it's one breeding bird species might not be something as uh, rare as piping as a piping plover. It might just be your, uh, you know, a rose-breasted grosbeak or or, mm-hmm. uh, or or it really could be your neighborhood birds. It could be your, your cardinals and, and uh, red-winged blackbirds. I mean, that, that it all makes a difference. And I think what's happened at Montrose Beach is that um, the dunes that site there, so much time and effort has gone into nurturing it that uh, that it became very hospitable for all sorts of birds as a migratory stopover. And then um, this was just like the uh, put put a you know put the icing on the cake by having a, a pair of rare birds decide to to nest there. But it's because of really hands-on volunteering people who were. Um, really just wanted to do something to help out their local habitat. And um, and it it also might not be birds. It could be your monarch butterflies. It could be, um, it could be a dragonfly species. It it could be your bumblebees. It can be, yeah. And, and the lands are so fragmented that every, every single square foot counts. Um, And I was just showing here, this is uh, Nish and Nelly. Uh, I guess Nelly and Nish. Uh, in that order, but uh, this is in Ohio, and uh, it looks like they they are imprisoned. Maybe you want to explain what the cage is all about, Bob? <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's not not a prison. It's it's a good thing. The, the, these wire exclosures are put up over most of the Great Lakes piping plover nests to keep predators out, and 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 even people in, in some cases when there's a nest established with eggs. Um, as you can see, they're, they're, the nest is there. It's under uh, the, the bird that's, uh, that's positioned, seated on the, on the ground. Um, the nests are nothing more than a, a simple scrape. And so when 
Uh, when that uh, takes place, uh, the nest, the exclosure is placed by wildlife officials and the, and the openings are big enough for piping plovers to move in and out, um, but they're small enough that uh, predators uh, can't get in. Although with one big exception, we had a, a, a situation here in Chicago about a month ago where a skunk did get in. But uh, generally, these are highly effective and uh, and they're placed because it is such a fragile situation there. And, and shorebirds, maybe even more so than other birds, their nests are, are very exposed, very much at risk. It's not um, they, they mm-hmm. nest right out in the open. They're not going to be high up in a tree <laughs> anywhere, or even in, in grass. So they're, they're right on the sand. So there, there's a lot of potential for, um, for you know, incidents or accidents to happen. So these, these exclosures are, are really, really important. And as you mentioned, it happened uh, here in Chicago. Um, and uh, the eggs, all four eggs were eaten by a skunk. But guess what? Uh, Monty and Rose just said, uh, okay, that's nature, and uh, we will go out and start again, and they did, and they've produced four more eggs, and they're they're sitting on those right now, they're, aren't they? Yeah, they're within a, about a week, I'd say, or so, we, we could anticipate hatching, um, and, you know, as, as difficult as it was to see that first nest um, get taken, uh, the birds within that day were were uh, exhibiting mating and nesting behavior again, and so um, they quickly are resilient. They quickly move on. They, uh, you know, they don't mm-hmm. experience feelings in the same way that humans do, um, but, and they've also experienced that before in their first year in Chicago. Unfortunately, uh, due to uh, a big uh, a storm that came in off Lake Michigan mm-hmm. with high water, that took out their their first nest, and and similarly, they quickly found a new place to nest and uh, began um, courtship and then uh, Rose began laying eggs. So um, it, uh, it, right. It, it, um, it's all, all signs are that things are good uh, out at Montrose there. It's been very quiet since that, uh, that skunk attack, but um, all, you know, quiet is what we like. Quiet, quiet is good. So yeah. <laughs> we're just going and of course, Marty and Rose were saying, "What we've we got a mate again? Oh man, that's such yeah. a drag! <laughs> yeah, you don't get humans saying that." Uh, but uh, all right, so that takes us to another reason why you're here today. Because if people go out to uh, Montrose Beach, if they they go out to what is called the Magic Hedge, which is part of the Montrose Point Bird Sanctuary out there they're going to see something like this um what is going on bob enclosure signs yeah include yeah they won't be able to walk through yes that's uh, true much of the sanctuary yeah so uh well the montrose point bird sanctuary which is a uh, separate area from the beach um, this is a wooded area that's grown up through the years and also been nurtured by volunteers. It, it's an incredible birding locale, both for migratory species and for nesting species. Um, we have, you know, 20 plus species that that nest there in, in the summertime. I mean, you're talking migration. This is like a top five locale na- nationally. I mean, we've had 350, uh, 350 species or thereabouts mm-hmm. recorded here. We had um, in, the, in the waters offshore in November 2019, an ancient murelet, a seabird from the Pacific Northwest was was identified there. We've had the state's first uh, Cassin's kingbird identified there. 
uh, in recent years. So um, this is an incredible locale. And I wrote about yeah. this for This Week in Birding, um, the, the construction that's underway. And what's happening is uh, that an accessible path um, for people with disabilities is is being put in. And um, I think what, what's happened is um, it, there, there hasn't been uh, particularly consistent communication about this. We have a lot of people using uh, this location, both for birding. We had 3,000 checklists, uh, excuse me, 3,000 checklists submitted here uh, for bird purposes uh, this past spring. But you have a lot of people who just go out and want to get some fresh air and go for a walk, you know, and, and you just have a lot of people who now are are blocked from there. And, you know, the actual project is not, not the problem. I think it's just taken aback a by the extent of the changes and um, the suddenness with which the the sanctuary was closed. There had been some notices about it, but even I, as a regular user, um, was was taken aback when, you know, on uh, June 15th, I believe was the date, all of a sudden the fences were up, the bulldozers were there. And it's like, gosh, maybe just uh, let us know the, the exact date. And you had people coming in from out of town to visit this place and they had to be turned away and they, they didn't get to experience it. So I, I, I um, you know, the opportunity here is to educate about uh, Montrose Point Bird Sanctuary, about all of the birds and na- natural areas we have on the lakefront. And, um, you know, let's, uh, fingers crossed, this work will be done uh, before the thick of fall migration, which starts in August. And more people, you know, people with disabilities and limited mobility will be able to use the site, which is wonderful. But I think there will need to be uh, some continued focus on this Uh a to make sure that any um, any vegetation that was taken out is is restored, and and um, unfortunately there was uh, one person who believes a, a nesting red winged blackbirds were affected by this, perhaps eggs in the nest, and um, it's you know you may say well they're just a common breeding species. Well, no, they're they're actually a declining in numbers, and b I, I would argue that any nesting species in a metropolis like this, we almost need to value it more and take more care to protect those Mm -hmm. birds. And, um, you know, if somebody needs to go out there and walk the site with them in the future, I'd volunteer to do that and, and point out every single nest where they can, they can move around and, and keep, keep things going. And I think the big surprise is that this is happening, as you're saying, right in the middle of nesting season, as opposed to, say, over the winter. Right. And, and you know, there had been some consultation with birding organizations, so I don't want to say it was completely, uh, you know, out of the the blue. But but still that if it is going to happen like that, um, we there there needs to be some specific, uh, you know, steps taken both to. Uh, to to walk the site, to observe the site, and coordinate with the the park district, with with birders, with mm-hmm. uh, biologists, and if that happened, maybe it happened, but I I'm not aware of it. Well, that's um, that's a really good point. Uh, component to it where we can celebrate this location as well. Yeah, I just want to say that okay, this is the park district doing the Chicago Park District, and. Um, they happen to have this information up on their website, which you pointed out to me. Um, yeah. The point, and it's not new. It didn't just appear no. this year. And they've been working on this project from uh, since 2015, and then last year they got uh, the IDNR, the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, uh, 
Recreation Trails Program awarded a grant to the Park District for the construction of the ADA Accessible Pathway. All good so far. In fact, the pathway, the footprint of it, it's an eight-foot-wide, one-third of a mile-long loop that travels near the areas known as the Magic Hedge um, and uh, the Magic Clump and the Tangle. In many places, this will be narrower than the current mulch trails, and that's a good thing, too. The idea is keep people off, keep them from running into the 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 natural area, and in that way, it's going to be a good thing. So there's a number of reasons why this is actually a pretty good thing. I mean, we're in a city. Um, you want it to be accessible to everybody. Uh, your point is the communication, perhaps the transparency of the park district could have been better. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I wrote this in in the piece in that you just have, like, there's a whole, uh, you know, there's a whole... Um, uh, discipline. Uh, there's a way to communicate public issues, and there's there's a, a public and community engagement that is part of something like this. And when you look back, that was done in about 2015, 2016. But that that's a long time ago. And I realize these grants have long life cycles, and it takes time to uh, put together these projects. But uh, there's a whole new generation of birders who've emerged since 2015, 16. A new group of Park users who um, had no idea about this, and that's always going to be the case. Only be, always going to be new people coming into uh, a, a, an issue or, or to a public locale like this. And, and then we had the pandemic hit, and my gosh, that completely changed the dynamics. We mm-hmm. we had um, we had all sorts of people who had not really been birding before coming out for the first time. I, I can you know think of uh, a, a couple dozen offhand who I didn't know pre-pandemic, but I've gotten to know because uh, they're now birders. <laughs> and so um, these people have no idea about the project. And so for them, th- this spring might have been their first uh, first really at Montrose and experiencing the, the, the delights of migration, which is a unique event. I mean, you get to see warbler species, up to three dozen of them, very up close that you, you people, you know, fly to places like southern texas central america south america to see these kinds of birds on tours here we get to see them up close right in in a city right in the not far from downtown and um and so you know there are positives here in that more people will be able to utilize uh the location and i think in the meantime it's kind of figuring out what can be you know, if, how can this be salvaged as a positive and not not as something that people are just walking away frustrated by? Because um, there's no no need for that, especially when you have uh, such a incredible location that um, has emerged in our city over the past you know twenty thirty years. What I would say is, if you can't keep your primary uh, stewards of the area in communication uh you can't communicate with them something's wrong these are the people like you and 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 a lot of the others uh who have watched this area and have worked very hard on it if you don't know what's going on that's a problem okay because you're the yeah, people who are there every day you're there every day some people come by once a year or or once a month or something but um yeah the city and and I've seen this before uh, with the city, transparency is not their biggest asset. Communication is often lacking. 
Um, and even though it's, and again, I will say, you should go to the link that I have from the park, from the park district on my website, and it's laid out rather nicely. Yeah, it it explains. Posted it here too. Yeah, explains everything. Now, when you do that, go to people like Bob and Leslie Bournes and some of the others and say, okay, here's what we have in mind, and it's going to start on June 15th instead of walking in one day and the barriers are up. Yeah, and I should also say that a lot of the people involved in this, the vast majority who are there uh, regularly are volunteers. These are not paid staff, so it almost seems even more important that uh, they be brought into the process. And I, 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 again, I don't want to say that I don't, I do think that site stewards were likely notified, but they're volunteers who are focused on habitat restoration, getting the, the saplings in, getting the seedlings in, you know, clearing brush, clearing invasives. They're, they're, they're not people who are uh, communications or PR agencies that, that are going to, uh, going to then mount an effort to educate the public. And so I think the, um, and I'm sure they notified their volunteers, but, but I think there's just a, a big, opportunity here to actually celebrate the, um, the the beauty we have there at, at Montrose Point. All of the, the lakefront natural areas from, you know, uh, up on Howard Street all the way south to Calumet Park um, and all the points in between, South Shore Nature Sanctuary, you name it. Um, mm-hmm. All of those locations are, are um, very important for, for people and birds. And so I think it's yeah. uh, making sure that uh, people know, a know that they're available and that they exist and they're and but b also that if drastic changes are happening that there's a robust public dialogue about about it exactly robust du- public dialogue that that works yeah. for me yeah that sounds yeah. good doesn't it peggy <laughs> yep. um, and okay. an understanding of why it's happening yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're we're now we're bumping into DeMaio time. So, uh, Bob Dolgan, this week in birding. Uh, fo- if folks want to follow your uh, your newsletter, um, where do they go? Yeah, go to uh, TWIB, uh, which stands for This Week in Birding. T W I B Chicago dot com. Make sure that I think it's, yeah Chicago dot com. <laughs> I know. I'm with- com. Sorry, I have an org. I have a net. Uh, make sure it's TWIB Chicago dot com. Yeah, uh, I I always have the same problem. So, Bob, thank you so much, and good luck with everything, and I hope that uh, um, you don't have too many irate people who come by and can't walk through the uh, the bird sanctuary, but uh, that's why you guys are there. You're you're the liaison with the public, so good luck on that. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope you have a great 4th of July. Oh, yeah, you too. Um, and uh, speaking of 4th of July and uh, things to do, part of it involves the weather. Rick DeMaio is coming up next. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. Time to win our hearts all in. Let's let the fun begin. 
Happy Fourth of July to you, Rick. Yeah, down with the British, right? <laughs> yeah, I, whatever, whatever. I'm, I wore. Oh, have, you ever, have you ever seen the movie um, "The Great Escape" when they finally figured out how to make moonshine, and uh, they're happy Independence Day down with the British because that was obviously during World War Two, right? But um, I, I, I was like. No, go ahead. Uh, that that's. Uh... Uh, I had forgotten that reference from the movie, although it is. Uh, I love that movie. I love that film. That's yeah, a, that's almost a... like it's almost like three movies. Uh, but yeah, good morning to you and uh, Peg. And I just finished a ten mile bike ride. That's why my hair is all kind of sweaty and wow. wet. And I also took a yeah, I also took a dive in uh, Lake Michigan off the Northwestern University rocks, as they call them, the NU rocks. Uh, and the water, mm-hmm. Peg, if you haven't been in it yet, um, it's probably you pretty chilly. It's chilly, but it's not as cold as last week. And I was actually talking to someone who was uh, about to do the same thing I was going to do. And she goes, so tell me, how's the water? I go, it's chilly, but as long as you start to swim, it's okay. She goes, because I tried to go in there on Monday, and it was freezing. And Monday, it was literally like 55 degrees. But it's probably about 63 or 64 right now. And you haven't had the westerly going long enough. Yeah, and um, uh, you know we've had some east winds, but unfortunately it was a it was a cool day with the northeast winds, and in addition to that, you get a lot of uh, you get a lot of sediment buildup. So I tried to go swimming about twenty thirty feet offshore, and you couldn't see more than two or three feet in front of your in front of your eyes. So the swimming conditions are definitely not the best. The good news is the rip currents uh, from the last well from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are all gone, and um, uh, overall, I mean, driving along the lakefront yesterday along Sheridan Road, I went up to um, Chalet to pick up a couple of plants, and you could always tell how cold the water is by the ratio of the number of people on the beach and the number of people not in the water. It was mm-hmm. like it was like literally eighty percent on the beach and twenty percent in the water, uh, and that's always, I think, a really amazing amazing thing mm-hmm. to see. By the way, guys, speaking of Chalet, I was at the uh, Lincoln Park. Um, farmer's market yesterday. I'm kind of done with the Evanston one because it's still in a parking lot and I hate it. But the Lincoln (laughs) Park, I'm serious, but the Lincoln Park farmer's market is only about half the size uh, due to probably COVID restrictions and people not feeling comfortable about coming back. I got this. I don't know if you guys can see it. See that hanging basket? Yeah, I've got it up on the screen. Yeah, Yeah, go the other way. The other way. There we go. Right there. Okay. I got that hanging basket. Um, anybody want to take a guess how much it cost me? Five bucks. Five dollars? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I got to make a little bit of a profit. Okay. Well, um, you asked me to guess. Well, that was a terrible guess. You would be awful on the prices, <laughs> right? What about you, Peg? What do you think? Ah, uh, I, I think you should tell us, Rick. <laughs> uh, Twenty-five bucks. Twenty-five dollars, which isn't bad. 
Okay. And I said, okay, now I have to, now I have to kind of match them up um, or match that up with some other plans. So I went to Chalet, and then these are from Chalet. Anybody want to take a guess? No, because so I went gonna... from a farmer's market. I went from a farmer's market to Wilmette. So there you go, a little bit of a difference there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and why do I think I'm going to get in trouble for this? Okay. Uh... No, it was they were, they were forty bucks. Okay. So uh, together what I'm is together or each? Oh, no, they, they were forty bucks a piece. What are you like these these places have to make money? Um, so the bottom line is. You just don't go to farmer's market to get fruits and vegetables. They have amazing flowers there and amazing plants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, that, that, that is absolutely true. Um, by the way, our friend Robert said he just got out of Montrose. He said it was very cold. Uh, yeah. So, so he was swimming there. And I want to note also uh, regarding our last segment, Judy Pollack um, uh, wrote, she said, uh, talking about the uh, the construction there Bird. at uh, Montrose Beach, she says this was debated for weeks beforehand on birding Facebook pages, and the info was shared. Notices went out to the bird club members. Okay, um, apparently some people missed it. I don't know why, um, but uh, thank you for the additional information, Judy. We really appreciate it. All right, uh, Rick, I want to put up a graphic that you sent me, and and this is not your typical graphic that you use but i think this reflects what's happened uh in the past month pretty much more than anything and it's this one uh the change yeah. okay this that's is that's amazing yeah that's like the snapshot yeah um, yeah other so than we, the fact so illinois I'm, is spelled wrong i just saw that uh yeah it's got uh, the, maybe not. it's hard to tell well, it's, it's, yeah moving right along oh well, no no, it, it almost looks like it's 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 I L I I N O I S, right? Yeah. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, looks, it looks it looks kind of weird. I'll, I'll readjust um, my contacts on that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, from it, it January first yeah. to June tenth, we had six point nine six inches of of precipitation, two days with thunderstorms, and then yeah. in in a uh, what nineteen day, day period. period, ten day yeah. period. Uh, oh, no, 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 uh, yeah, no. No, that would be a 20 days. That's 20 20 days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 6.77 inches, 11 days with thunderstorms. Uh, Wow. Yeah, and and notice also 55% of those days, literally it was every other day we had thunder during that period of time. Um, It was really amazing how we broke out of this drought, um, especially in areas from Southern Lake and Southern McHenry County southward. But again, Mike and Peg, you look at Rockford, and since – or, or, or from the 1st of June to the 30th of June, literally the entire 30-day period there, they had 1.26 inches of rain. So, again, it was that little sliver. Yeah, there was that little sliver, um, and you can probably see that more so on the graphic on the right. That's the precipitation percent. Um, and it really is amazing how little rainfall they had. Because what, what this shows you here is the map on the left is the temperature departure from normal. And the map on the right is percent precipitation. So it's not it's not actually quantifiable numbers. They're kind of qualitative there. But the bottom line is when you start to look at areas still to the north and west of us, um, they're in extreme drought. However, when I was driving through southern areas of Wisconsin last week, the, the cornfields still look pretty darn good. And then another telling map is this. There were areas of northern mm-hmm. McHenry 
County and Southern Walworth County, which is where I was driving through, that easily had over two and a half to three inches of rain. So that that drought indicator map that still shows severe drought, I don't think it's really picking up some of those areas that got um, the heavier rainfall across northern McHenry. Yeah, that one right there. I think if you go right across the state line, because where I go up in southern Walworth County, you're literally right along um, County Road 50 there. The farm fields look great. So I got a feeling that this map is probably overdoing it from a standpoint of the D3. And part of that is the resolution of the grid space and that they're using is probably a, a, a grid point from, say, Rockford to maybe Crystal Lake to maybe Waukegan to Racine to Lake Geneva. And they're kind of like looking in that area. But if you would do probably a real high-resolution detailed map of where the precipitation mm-hmm. is or was, I, I think that D3 is going to be a lot less than what it's showing there. Uh, yeah. this is, and parts will have had rain where others didn't. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I think that previous map that you were showing, Mike, I think is more emblematic of the fact that the rain that did come down came down really, really hard um, and it literally flooded some of the areas, like like you mentioned before about the flooding. I mean, last Saturday, we had areas, yeah, that that particular map, last Saturday, I mean, we had flooding on Lakeshore Drive. South Chicago mm-hmm. Heights was completely underwater. Um, areas of... Uh, Brookfield and LaGrange had almost four inches of rain. I mean, the streets were flooded up to, you know, halfway up the wheel wells on certain cars. So this is why um, precipitation analysis is really, really difficult because you're you're trying to get all these different, you know, spots on a map uh, that are sometimes not more than, you know, two miles away. But again, when you look at, you know, like Rockford during that particular period of time, you know, a quarter of an inch. I think this is over a um, – my, my screen is covering up the number the, – the title up on the top. But I think this is that same, like, 20-day period of time. Um, again, it depends on, depends on where you were. You either were feast or famine. And, again, how many times have we said this? The areas that got the heavy rain, Bloomington, Pontiac, up to Kankakee, didn't need it. Matter of fact, there was one cocoa rise station. Cocoa means collaborative – uh, community effort for rain, hail, and snow. There's one spot east and northeast of Bloomington that so far, Mike and Peg, for the month of June has had 14.53 inches of rain. That's absurd. Wow. wow. So there were some areas in I-70, yeah, last week that were completely flooded, and yet other areas to the north that were still kind of in that drought. So, again, you know, I, I don't think this, this drought is probably um, – as severe as that map shows. Uh, nonetheless, uh, this is the information that I put together. Um, it still shows you that there's a still heck of a lot of rain that's needed uh, between five and as much as eight inches down since the first of the month. So what first of the year. So what we've done is we've actually taken care of the topsoil, the first four inches. Now we get into the subsoil, which is the next four inches. And that's where we really need to get some of that rainfall to kind of percolate down into the soil. Um, and As I was can, watching. Yeah, you can see this here. Uh, Rockford and Waukegan are still uh, eight and uh, nine inches oh, down, yeah. basically. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's those two sites that are the ones that are used for the climate diagnostic tool that generates the drought monitor. Mm-hmm. So because those two sites are so low, it draws in that severe drought. But in between that, 
there's at least three or four stations that probably got an additional, you know, three or four inches of rain. Now, the good news is that we're not going to get into any really long-term period of high heat or high humidity or what we refer to as high evaporation rates. Because this time of year with the high sun angle uh, and the fact that you can get still easily 85, 90 degrees without getting too warm this time of year with the sun, you can evaporate about a quarter inch of moisture off that topsoil. And that means that over the course of four days, you lose one inch. So the bottom line is, even though we got up to 86 yesterday, we'll probably get up to 89 today. It looks like another hot day tomorrow, but then it looks like a really good chance for some soaking rains both Tuesday and Wednesday night. But as you can see, the long-term, large-scale heat, believe it or not, I hate to say this, it rebuilds across the western part of the United States, and we actually go back into somewhat of a cooler pattern. So beginning, this would be the 6 to 10 day, beginning, I believe, okay, that's... Uh, on the, um, I think it's, I'm trying to think, it goes from, I think the 12th, yeah, I think it goes from the 12th, it's basically all of next week, the 12th to the 17th is what it is. So most of next week turns wetter, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then after that, we get right back into the northeast winds. So I would not be surprised if we get a, a, a decent heavy thunderstorm over Rockford or Waukegan, that little area of severe drought is probably going to go away. And again, this is now the 8 to 14 day. This is two weeks out. And this is showing you how that heat continues to build across the western part of the United States. I'm kind of interested in this map you sent. Uh, what are we looking at here? Okay, so this is again, this is the day one through day seven, beginning today through next Saturday. So this is a seven-day QPF, a quantitative precipitation forecast. So what it shows you is that this frontal boundary is going to kind of be sinking southward. And along that west-southwest, east-northeast front, we're going to get several thunderstorms that are going to train along that boundary. So areas of central Iowa, northwest Illinois, and you can see um, even up into um, central Wisconsin, um, look pretty good from a standpoint of getting at least two and a half to three inches of rain. Now, one of the neat things I always love doing when I go to the farmer's markets, I talk to the farmers and I ask them, how are your crops? How are your fields? I talked to one guy from Beloit, Mike and Peg. He said, it's the worst we've ever seen. I talked to one guy from Berry in Michigan where I bought a whole bunch of grapes. Because uh, after you talk to them, you feel like you have to buy you know some things from them. So I bought a whole bunch of uh, grapes, uh, cherries, cherries and blueberries. And he said, mm -hmm. rain's from God. The heavens opened up just in time, and they had almost eight inches of rain um, over the last two weeks. So, again, it's really weird. Parts of southwest Michigan doused with rain. Parts of northern mm -hmm. Illinois and southern Wisconsin, uh, very little. Hmm. And there, there you see it. That's the seven-day yeah. uh, precipitation total. And it shows you four to five inches pretty much from like north of St. Louis, right up into southwest lower Michigan. And I wouldn't be surprised if when they released the Lake Michigan uh, water levels, I didn't see them this past week, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if the lake level was up maybe another two, three or four inches. But I went down to the lakefront on the day that it was windy. Peg, do you remember which day was really windy? I forget. Mm. Off the top now. Was it? Yeah, I think it was like it was Tuesday like and Thursday. Wednesday. Was yeah. Thursday, right. okay. 
early in the week. Yeah, yeah. I think. No, yeah, I think it was yeah. Thursday. I think yeah, it was either yeah. Wednesday or Thursday. Oh, because the rip currents were still going window. Friday, so I think it was Thursday, Wednesday into yeah. Thursday. The winds were picking up Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, I went. I went down to the lakefront, and um, I was watching the waves come in, and they were about you know four or five feet, and they were probably a good solid 10 feet further into the lake where the waves were breaking compared to where they were last year at this time. And it, it's amazing how 20 inches of water will actually be a difference of about 10 feet from a standpoint of, of looking at, you know, how far it goes inland. It also depends on how the waves are breaking and also the angle of the show. So yeah. um, when you look at the percent of mean, again, look at this, you're at, Four to five hundred percent again in the same areas, yeah. but areas out west, Iowa, Northwest Illinois, is where we have not gotten the rain that we need, unfortunately. Uh huh. And here's the uh, accumulated precipitation from June second to July first. Yeah, uh, and this is this is one whole month, and and again, Missouri, Central Illinois, um, southern central areas of Indiana, that southwest area of Michigan. Now again, they don't grow as much corn in Missouri as they do here in Illinois, but we grow a lot in Illinois, number two in the country. Um, Iowa's number one, Nebraska is number four, Minnesota is number is number three, actually. So that same area across northern areas of Iowa into southern sections of Minnesota, um, they're still probably in need of about six to 10 inches of rain. But again, the heat doesn't get over us anytime soon. It stays out west. Um, and as long as it stays out west, your evaporation rate is probably not going to be time. Um, and there's one more here that I was kind of curious uh, about, if I can pop this up. Calculated uh, soil yeah. moisture. Yeah, this is, this is a great one. And this is the one that farmers use, um, especially during the time when the plants are in their infancy. In other, in other words, when they're really beginning to get their roots down into the soil. But now most, you look at most corn uh, plants right now, and they're probably, um, I mean, the whole adage is knee high by the 4th of July, but it's more like waist high now. We've seen corn easily waist high. Um, but I've seen this time of the year where they're getting into the, you know, pollination stage is usually about the second week of, um, of June. And what they want right now is decent rains followed by really warm weather. And I think we're going to get that. So the moisture that you see right here is literally 140% of normal uh, for the first four inches. And again, this is that same area, um, sub subsoil moisture, or at least it's topsoil, probably the first four inches across Minnesota, parts of Iowa, and the Northern Illinois. So again, this is this is really, I think, um, from a standpoint of how it relates to rainfall over the last 30 days. But sometimes you could be in a drought and you still got a lot of rain in the last 30 days. But this same area has not gotten rain in the last 30 days. Okay, I uh, am going to pop up something. Let's see if I've got it in here. Yeah, I just managed to get this up because you sent it uh, recently. So we're looking at yeah. uh, the hurricane, um, which will it be a hurricane when it gets to Florida? Um, I don't think so. Um, it was a hurricane briefly. Um, it's showing fantastic outflow right now. I just looked at the last satellite, and if you want, you can share that link 
uh, with your listeners instead of sending you a animated GIF, which oftentimes takes up too much space. Um, I don't think it's going to become one because a the low level flow is not the best. There's there's, there's too much there's too much um, too much trade wind action into it. You really want the trade winds to kind of lighten up a little bit, and it's also moving. Um, over the island of Cuba, it's really, really rare for a tropical storm to move over Cuba. Cuba's got some pretty decent mountains, three, 4,000 feet. Well, not the 4,000. I think they're about 2,500. Uh, Jamaica's got the 4,000-foot mountains. Um, but it's going to be enough to, to weaken the flow. And at the same time, because it's not really getting energized or enough tightening of the inside core, it's not going to allow what we call the Coriolis force to take over and pull it to the right. So because it's a weak tropical storm, it'll continue to just get nudged further west. And that's great news for South Florida because this is going to have zero impact from a wind standpoint on the uh, recovery effort down there in Surfside. Will it produce some rain? Yeah, but Florida's had off and on heavy rain down there the last two or three days. Will they get into eight to 10 inches of rain. I don't think so, but all it takes is one band to move right over that area. And if you start getting, you know, any sort of pooling of water in that, you know, in that area where the, you know, the building collapsed, who knows what it's going to do to some of the sediment. It's, is it going to drain parts of, you know, some of the uh, remains of the building, you know, down to the bottom. So this may actually cause them to back off uh, the site for maybe one and a half to two days, but from a wind standpoint, it's going to have zero impact. And I've uh, I've got my sharpie out, and uh, I'm I, I show it moving into Alabama. I don't know if uh, that that's happening, but uh, no, probably not. Yeah, yeah, I know I know Trump was down in Sarasota. Yes, I wonder if he, if he mentioned the storm at all. Um, we'll see. But hey, quickly, guys, before we get going, um, you want to talk about the haze in our sky the last couple of days? Uh, is that from fires? I sent you guys many messages on that. You're yeah. not reading your email updates. Oh, come on, man. Peggy, you read them, of course, right? Fire? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, out west, it's coming It's coming east. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, no, I'm thinking of, of email. Yeah. I, if it's the one you sent this morning, I did not read the one this morning. Nope, nope. Anyway. No, I didn't send that. This was, this was three days ago. Well, why don't you um, tell us, Rick? Yes, it was a very hazy sunset last night, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, beginning on Thursday, um, I mean, after the low-level clouds cleared, the sky was almost opaque. And whenever I look up and I start to see smoke in the sky, the first thing I think of is, my God, the areas that it's burning must be unbelievably catastrophic for us to be getting their smoke. And yeah. what's really, really disheartening and tragic is the initial part of the smoke was probably from that awful fire in Lytton, British Columbia. That I think the death toll is easily going to top a thousand in British wow. Columbia. I think um, most of the people in that town of a thousand people got out, but literally ninety percent of that town, the same one that had one hundred thirteen, one hundred eighteen, and one hundred twenty-one, ninety percent of the town is gone. It's gone. Fire just right. literally went right through. Like the one in and California a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah, the uh, one in the one in paradise, the one paradise. where Trump didn't, yeah. remember, he didn't know where he was, and someone had to tell him, "Where am I?" Paradise. Oh yeah, paradise. He thought he was in anyway. Iowa. And just, yeah, and so so you go from the super hot temperatures that unbelievable to the fires. 
Yeah. Now, now, let me be clear. The smoke is completely not from the British Columbia fires. There's other fires that are burning in Manitoba and Ontario. But the fact that this is July, this is not August, it's already starting across Canada, just tells you what is ahead of us. And Mike, when you showed that 6 to 10 day and the 8 to 14 day, yeah. the heat rebuilds out west. And all it takes is one lightning strike, wind, maybe a power line goes down. So you know that the people in California and Oregon are just biding their time right now, waiting for something to happen. But just like we saw last year, yep, just like we saw last year, we went through almost two weeks of haze in the sky. And if people really want to start to connect the dots between weather and climate, and it doesn't have to happen in your own backyard, um, just look at the sky. And this is all this is all the wildfire smoke from British Columbia and Manitoba and Ontario. It's yeah. very sad. And if I do, some guy on Facebook will yell at me and say that climate change doesn't exist, that it's just weather. So. I know. Let's, let's not go down that road. Um, all right, so give us, a, give us a forecast here. All right. Um, by the way, on this date in 1776, anybody want to take a guess what the temperature was at noontime in Philadelphia? Well, I all sent I, you that in. I saw yes, that. Yes, you did I, send that. I was you trying to read that. that graphic. It was very small. But all I know is uh, from the news. Uh, it, it's hot as hell. 76 in, degrees in 1776. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. All, all they said was in the musical, it's hot as hell in Philadelphia. So yeah. there you go. That's why they had to get out of there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah, it was it was uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Mr. Renaissance man himself, scribbling it down, 76 degrees in Philadelphia in 1776. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, we're not going to be 76 today. We'll get up probably to about 90. We had 86 yesterday. If we hit 90 today, I think that's going to be the... I want to say the 10th one, and I think we forgot to mention it, but June 2021 ended up being the fourth warmest on record and the, I believe it was the 16th wettest on record. But Amazing. that period of time, that period of time that you showed that we had that rain, that was only the third time we've been that wet in that period since 1871 hmm. in Chicago. So we went from drought to literally the third wettest, really unbelievable. And if you think about it, the maximum rainfall actually missed the official recording station. So in some areas of Chicago, it was the wettest ever. But the bottom line, near 90 today, near 90 tomorrow, looks like a really decent uh, decent shot of rain tomorrow night, Monday night, into Tuesday and Wednesday. And then after that, it cools off for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, wind off the lake, uh, and temperatures in the mid-70s. And that's always nice to have because my electric bill in the month of June last month was two hundred and seventeen dollars compared to the one thirty seven the year before? Wow! Thank you, Eric. Well, yeah. I got you're 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 not going to like me, but uh, uh, we have yet to turn on the air conditioning in this house. So this summer, yep. don't invite me over for a sleepover. Mike. <laughs> okay, I, I will not. Rick, thanks so much. Uh, happy Fourth of July to you. Uh, have a have a, a great day, and um, I uh, uh, will. Well, we'll both talk to you next week. What a send-off. Thanks, Mike. See you, babe. <laughs> oh, come on, man. All right. Uh, it's hot as hell in Philadelphia. How's that? All right, and he's gone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> he froze in a grin and left the room. Yeah, he just and, and left the room. Oh, well. Uh, we'll thank him first. Thanks, Rick, for 
for dissing me on your way out the door. Okay. And uh, and for uh, oh, I think I'm getting a B minus because I didn't see that particular uh, email. I, I opened them all. I, I don't read it. I don't read every single article he sends me. But oh well. Uh, thanks, Rick, for that. Thanks to uh, to Bob Dolgan uh, from This Week in Birding. Thanks to Skeet. Thanks to uh, Julie Janusky. See, I'm going in reverse order. Thanks to Kathleen uh, for doing everything upstairs. Thanks to Legata and Legata Cam. And thanks to Basil. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 